I'm Mary Angela Abeo, creator of the Faces of Fortitude movement, which is a safe space for faces of suicide and mental illness to share their stories and help each other heal. And this is Face to Faces, a conversation series featuring people from all walks of life, exploring the real human emotions we're all dealing with as the world around us rapidly evolves. I'm glad you're here with us. Let's lean in. My guest today is the artistic director of the Pacific Northwest Ballet, Peter Bowl. Uh, he hails from New York City uh, and was principal dancer with the New York City Ballet. Danced there for, if I did my math correctly, 22 years. Uh, retired good. in 2005 and became the director of the Pacific Northwest Ballet here in Seattle. And he's been the director of the ballet here for 15 years, again, if I did my math right. Um, Peter, we're so grateful to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And Mariangela, I love what you're doing with this. So power to you and happy to be a part of it. Oh, well, thanks. I, I First of all, I mean, I just, I, I like to do emotional check-ins with people and we are, our world is a very different place from even the last time I saw you, which was uh, at the tech and only rehearsal for the last rep. Um, and that was also a weird time for us. And now the world feels like it's changed even more. How are you personally doing during all of this? Well, uh, certainly the strangest of times. It's a hard question to answer. I'm trying to keep my chin up and make wise decisions for people around me and not let them know that I'm crying on the inside. Um, and then as, as we'll probably talk about, there's completely unexpected positives that are emerging during this time that don't eclipse any of the horror of the crisis, but it's just, it's strange to see things emerging relationships with people and people you didn't reach out to for the last 25 years and, and they're reaching out and they need you and you pick right up where you left off all that time ago. And, and certainly relationships that. with family that um, were good, but they're maybe even better. So there's a lot of surprises. I'm just sort of, I feel the Teutonic plates shifting underneath me and I'm trying to remain standing. Yeah. I think we're all kind of in this weird space where we're like, well, this is horrible on so many levels, but it's also kind of wonderful. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, because I'm connected to the arts, how are the artists doing? How are, is the staff doing? You know, this is, everyone has lots of people, not everyone, lots of people have lost their jobs or are on layoffs or furloughs. But I think when you're an artist, you're doing your passion and you're doing what, what drives you and what, you know, speaks to your heart. And so I worry about the artist's mental place because that's how they express themselves. How are they all doing? Do you guys communicate? How is How are you guys all keeping in touch and keeping each other's uh, morals up? Not morals, morale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, that's a hard question to answer too. I think, you know, social media went from being this warning, it's too much. It's a place where people put their best selves forward, but not their honest selves. And and suddenly it's become this sort of savior of socialization where you're feeling very isolated and you can reconnect with people that you always connected with through that. So, but I, I do think people are still putting their best selves forward in that sense. So what I'm seeing is, you know, people doing spectacular exercise sessions that are full of creativity and healthy and what I'm seeing blooming when I'm walking through the park on the weekend. Um, and, and I worry a little bit that, that 
the real hurt um, is being covered up. And I, I think I, I have a relationship with the dancers and many of the people who work at Pacific Northwest Ballet um, that is, I think, mutually respectful, close bond, but also distant because a lot of times I'm a boss. So right. it, it's sort of a new frontier of um, a couple of dancers I've reached out to and I said, I saw this about you today and how are you doing and how's your, you know, I know you're expecting a baby in a couple of months and how's that going and isn't this time. And it's sort of a new frontier for me to just sort of reach out as a fellow human and maybe even a friend to these people that I've always worked with as a boss. And I, I think I have to go forward without trepidation and just do it. I mean, that's what we do right now is make sure that we make ourselves available and that we're listening and hearing and there for people. Um, and I also think on the other side of that, people are thriving. You cannot keep creativity down. I mean, I think this podcast is, is it's not about creativity so much, but it's people know what's needed and they know what they can provide and they are stepping up. And I think it's really beautiful. Some of our dancers, I see them becoming quite entrepreneurial during this time. Um, some of them just wanting to do selfless gestures for the public. Sometimes those things overlap. Um, we had a couple of dancers say, can we set up a mentoring opportunity with some of our students? And we've done that. It's going to start tomorrow mm -hmm. afternoon. And you know, people just say, what can I do? Because there's a lot on Netflix. There'll be time for that. But there may be other more meaningful human connections that I can, I can initiate. And I think it's beautiful. I, I'm just watching them um, and, and hoping to contribute as best I can. I love that so much. And I think, you know, on social media, the power, like you said, I've been catching um, live, you know, classes and streams and, and workout routines. And it's fascinating to me because I love to see that side. I have a friend that's an athlete and she asked me, she said, you know, how are the athletes staying in shape? How are the dancers staying in shape? And it's so great because social media is showing us that and they're being in, you know, creative and, inventive on how, you know, I saw that uh, a few of them had pieces of Marley in their apartments so they could practice their point work. And it's just, it's lovely to see what we can do if we have to. And um, I think it's showing people. You probably know this, but, um, you know, there's so many wonderful classes for dancers. I, I don't want to crowd their lives with giving a class every day. Um, you know, there's some incredible options for them. But we do meet on Fridays at noon, and um, I'm in my front hall, and they're, they're actually all over the country at this point because we're not working. So some have gone home to their families. But we do a class together for an hour. We talk a little bit at the end. Um, and we close with this free dance moment to a current pop song. And it's, it's the kind of thing I would never do with the dancers, <laughs> but these are strange times. So, you know, it's <laughs> me in the but, front hall with my disco moves from the eighties, just doing my best <laughs> to keep up. <laughs> it's so great because I actually saw a clip of that on somebody's Instagram and all mm. these new windows and everybody dancing and like dancing with their animals. And it, brought so much happiness to me and it was it was full of so much heart because it showed how you guys are really all a family and how much you care about each other and just everybody kind of trying to get in that little wind that zoom window and say hi to each other and it was just very sweet I don't think we realize what how much connection the dancers have with each other until you don't and yeah, you really and spend all day together I think they're connecting with each other constantly and beautifully which is equally important so I think they're doing okay. I'm sure they're struggling, but I, I think they've 
they're strong, they're extraordinary people, and that's coming through. Yeah, it is. And and I would love to know how you're practicing self-care because I know that, you know, being at home all the time is hard. Having family, I know you have kids that are grown, but some of them are back, right? And so how are you taking care of yourself during this? Um, you know, it changes every day because I think I become more cognizant and more cautious each day with what we do. Um, we've been out quite a bit walking. I've been running every morning. I like the earlier mornings to run because I actually don't run into that many people. There's a ton of runners out now, but they seem to start later than I do. And, um, you know, everybody that comes to the house, which is down to just our family, we're not having other people over. Um, I've asked people to come meet me on my porch. Um, and people like that, the weather's been amazing. Uh, Yeah. And then we have everybody washing their hands when they're coming in. And, you know, we have now masks that we're not wearing all the time, but we'll wear them when we go to the store because it's it's not so much that it's for us, but it's for the other people so that we're not increasing risk for people that we're interacting with at the checkout counter or in the aisles. Um, so we're learning. I just took my bandana out the other day and um, took it into a store for the first time and met by many people doing the same. But my God, if we're not listening to the news and not paying attention to, and you know, my kids are telling me ways that I can be safer. Um, But I love having them in the house. There's two out of three in the house and the 24 year old is with his girlfriend. And she's the only exception of people that comes to our house for regular game nights and for uh, family dinners and things like that. But my daughter cooked dinner for us last night and she, I don't think she's done that before. And it was delicious. Wow. Um, yeah, so these are the new things that are in the midst of all this uh, sadness and learning and um, really deep worry about what's coming tomorrow for economy and lives and health. But there's these silver linings that show up um, and, and they're beautiful. And I think you have to feel okay about them and acknowledge them. The moments of humor or happiness are probably vital in the balance right now because the scale can tip so easily if you don't recognize them. So quickly. And I think that, you know, I was just telling somebody the other day, I I don't know how Ryan and I, my partner, haven't killed each other yet, but (laughs) we miraculously haven't because we can't, you know, we we're, we're, making adjustments and compromising in a small space in an apartment, you know, in Belltown just to make it work and and survive. And I think that's what everybody's doing. But we're also seeing these beautiful things where I walked down the street the other day just to get some air and every person I walked by looked me in the eyes and smiled at me. And that just doesn't happen. Seattle has this freeze. Yeah. It's interesting that we forgot to do that to each other. And now I know we're all clinging to the far side of the sidewalk when we do it, (laughs) but we're all doing it. We're smiling, acknowledging, nodding. It's nice. Yeah. It's so great. So the ballet is clearly adjusting with the times, you know, I've seen videos and streams. Um, What else are you guys doing to engage with, stay engaged with your community because you're following your community, your donors, your patrons are all such huge parts of the ballet. It's why the ballet is there. Um, How are you staying engaged with people right now? Because this whole pandemic is affecting the arts in a way that um, it's hard for us to really gauge as patrons. And so it would be nice to know how you guys are staying engaged and, and, and what adjustments you're making to just kind of keep in touch with everyone. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm we're busy watching every day other companies, and it always seems like someone else got it right just before you. But you know, there's beautiful phone calls where all artistic directors are gathering once a week to talk to each other and talk about what's working. The directors of schools are doing that. Um, oh, wow. Executive directors are doing that. I mean, people have pulled together certainly nationally, and I think in many ways internationally as well, just to share ideas. This worked for us. Try this. So I feel like sometimes we're slow. Sometimes we're getting it right at the right time. But the the stage, the McCall Hall stage, in a sense, is now our website and it's our YouTube channel. I mean, that's where we can place our art in this interim period, and we'll continue to place it there. Um, Zoom classes are the place where we are seeing our students every single week, every single level. Um, and wow. it's, it's what we can do. We're doing our best here. And I, I hope that it suffices and builds this bridge for audiences that ultimately I don't think there'll be anything quite like that shared assembling to witness art and to feel the profundity in the midst of 2,500 people in an audience. But um, we have to do what's available to us. And, uh, you know, choreographers aren't working with 50 dancers right now in studios, but um, dancers themselves and choreographers themselves are coming up with exquisite, beautiful moments in their isolation that they're able to share um, through this forum that we have, which is, um, you know, technology. So, yeah. The perfect example is that video that Carla Corbs posted yesterday morning that just woke up and danced in her garden and I forgot how much I missed her dancing. You know, she's a former principal dancer here from Pacific Northwest Ballet. And my heart swelled because I was like, oh, I miss watching dancing. This is what I, this is what I miss. But again, that was just like you said, it was just a brilliant, lovely way to share how she was dealing with isolation. Yeah, it was beautiful. And we haven't seen Carla physically in years. She's in Indiana and um, you know, she's happy as uh, running a wonderful college dance program and with her husband and her children. But um, just to see her moving again was so powerful. And it took us back to a beautiful place and a beautiful memory. And, and I love that everybody's doing that. Um, I think it's all welcome. It just, it feels like an embrace and we aren't allowed to embrace right now. Right. I totally agree with that. Well, I want to move to my lightning round questions, which um, I think this first one's funny because I, you had mentioned earlier, you're not much of a swearer, but we all have in our lifetime. So I'm curious to know what your favorite and maybe favorites, the wrong word, <laughs> most used swear word or term or something where people around, you know, that you're lit or mad or <laughs> you have one. <laughs> I just think I felt like such a, I don't know, dud when I read that question, I was like, Oh God, I just really don't swear. Um, I was, this person will come up again, but I was raised partly raised by this woman that took care of my sister and I. Um, and, and she wouldn't let us say the word hate. And I know it's not a swear word, but she wouldn't let us hate. She would only let us dislike okay. things. And, she, and hate was the big bad word that you couldn't say growing up. So it became the swear word. I, I think hate is, um, real. I think it has to be recognized. Um, I think, I think it has to be talked about and discussed. 
Um, I think yeah. it's also an extension of a really natural animalistic instinct that we have, but one that yeah. has carried too far. Um, so I'm, I'm not opposed to the concept. I think it's, it's a great concept. We just couldn't say we hated anything growing up. Um, so it wow, became, I kind of love that rule though. That my wife said, um, well, she has, if you need swear words, interview her. She has them in all languages. <laughs> I was just thinking all about that. My, so, <laughs> I, I can get a whole book of them from Kelly. I'm sure. She said, the worst thing that I say is, oh dear. I was like, oh God, <laughs> that's just pathetic. So <laughs> there it is. Oh, she is, she is a woman after my own heart. We're very similar. It's so funny. I love that answer though. That's very you. So it's very fine. Um, okay. So you're, everybody has like a go-to, like what music are you listening to now or book or movie that's helping you? Like when you're having a hard day, you just need to unwind. But I also wanted to add to this question. Like if you're reading a book right now or listening to music that you like, I would love for you to share it. But also I've always wanted to ask you what your favorite ballet is. Oh, hmm. You know, I'm a Libra, so these answers take me forever. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, you, you, you have to weigh out all the balances, so. Yeah, favorite ballet, huh? Um, I guess the question would be to do or to watch. I think, you know, I did love this ballet, Opus 19, The Dreamer. It's one that I lived in for many years, and I, I think I liked it because I struggled in it. I, I didn't find it easily. Um, it's a real tour de force for the male protagonist and it deals with demons and it deals with doubt and it deals with, um, beautiful moments, but it just felt like a microcosm of our existences. And, um, mm. I felt how personally invested the choreographer Jerome Robbins was in that work and how he gave it to people as this special gift. Um, mm. and he didn't just give it, he kept after you in your custodianship of this work that was dear to him. It's, it's not even a, a phenomenal work. It's not even um, in the canon of the 10 great works by Jerome Robbins, but there was something about it that um, having been entrusted with it and wanting to take a torch and carry it forward for him um, to the current audience or to the next generation as an artistic director. Um, so I, I'm going to go with that one. Um, you know, the, anyway, the first movie I thought it was like, I need to watch Elf. Because <laughs> we just watch it every year and it's just, you just let go when Elf is on. You can't hold back. The joy and the laughter just come out. So, yeah. And good for some recipe ideas too, Elf. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Syrup's good on everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, I have to say, and this is just kind of a segue, that my favorite ballet has always been Giselle. Mm. And if a lot of people don't know that was next up in the rep and that is something that right now is not able to be performed by the ballet. And my heart was a little bit broken over that. Um, and I would love for you to tell people a little bit about how they can support the ballet because you know, these things cost money and you have to get the rights to these and you have to, you know, it's kind of like doing theater. It's the same thing. And so, you know, the ballet still incurs, costs. And so having um, a way for people to support the arts still in some way, um, I think people would love to know, those that are able, would love to know how they can. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, we certainly need people now. And I, I think what has become evident to us is that um, we've been, you know, there's some people who are, have an incredible allegiance to the ballet. And 
we've actually become integral to their lives. These are the people who some subscribe for 30 years, some subscribe for the last three months, but they, they, we fill something in their lives that they can only find at the ballet and the letters that we're getting from people um, along with donations and, and donations are coming in, in the most amazing amounts, you know, people are sending $15 because that's what they can do. And that's as beautiful as we've gotten some that are quite a bit bigger. But um, I think it's not just the money. Um, we need the money. We are, we want to be strong tomorrow. We want to be back tomorrow. We want to help transport people and affect their lives in the most positive and beautiful ways tomorrow. And I think we're looking long-term because we're coming back and we want to be strong when we do. And we want to bring every employee that's currently on a furlough or a layoff back so that we can do what we do so well tomorrow. And it, it will happen. I know that. Um, we're already working those plans to make it happen. But people that don't have $15 um, or they need to keep that because they just got laid off themselves or they're looking at bills that are mounting, um, it's there's ways to engage in advocacy, support, applause, word of mouth, um, volunteering. I mean, it, it just goes on and on in ways that contribute. And, and the validation that they are recognizing that we are offering something meaningful um, I think at the end of the day, it's that. It's that widespread shared understanding of value. Um, and that's what people can offer. Um, I love that. certainly information on our website, which is just pnb.org, um, for those that want to learn more, see more, do more, and, and to donate as well, which which does matter. But, um, but these connections, we want them strong. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think that I think that the ballet here in this city is is beloved, and I think people want to know how to keep it around because, like you said, you guys, your whole organization and the company and the dancers and the choreographers and the beautiful programs that you put together do export us. You know, I'm one of the rare born and raised in Seattle, and so I've been going to the ballet since I was a child. And so watching the transformation that you've made of the ballet in the last 15 years as an adult, me watching what you've done and you've modernized it and brought it to the times and you've, you're, you're pleasing both your older donors and your, your young up and coming patrons. It's brilliant. And I think that losing that would break so many hearts that showing people now how important it is and valuing it now, I think is um, essential. It's very important. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you um, for that. I would love to know three influential people, and this is just something for me. Um, I think we celebrate the uh, cis white male in our country far too much. You know this, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would love to know three people that have inspired you that are not cis white males and whether it be dance wise, work wise, life wise, if you have any off the top of your head. Yeah, I got to I got to two of them. <laughs> I have a <laughs> third, good. but it's kind of a, maybe a, not a straight answer. Um, uh, going back to that that person, her name was Hattie Lindsay that I grew up with. Um, she was engaged by my parents. Talk about the cis white males <laughs> to take mm. care of kids, um, and I think at a very very early age, uh, she let me know that I should believe in myself because she believed in me and mm. uh, I had two working parents. And so she, we spent a lot of time together. Um, she was probably, most people would say she was 
um, a grumpy person. She wasn't nice to everybody. I'm not sure what my sister would say about her, but the sun <laughs> rose and set on me. And also she would never, she needed to be treated well by people in the world. She, the fact that she was tiny, um, she was not even high school educated. She was black, but she was an entity that needed to be recognized and valued. And that was everywhere she went. And I watched it and it was important for me to see. And even in her relationship with our dog, she was not going to give an inch. So (laughs) one of those, but I love that. But she, she influenced me um, in many ways. Uh, I had a great-grandmother, uh, not a great-grandmother, a terrific grandmother. Our relationship was good. It wasn't sort of especially close, but I admired what she did in the world a great deal. Um, she was really about uh, family planning and women's health rights, um, and that was her cause. And she founded Planned Parenthood clinics uh, all over the world. Um, she worked with Margaret Sanger on that. And, I did not know that, Peter. That's amazing. Yeah, and she could have taken other routes, too, because there was certainly means on that side of the family. And um, she and my grandfather moved away from some of the comforts, and he worked for the UN, and she founded family planning clinics in countries, about six or seven countries around the world, um, the main one being wow. in Canada. So so I, I really admire the sort of sense of service that she adopted and it was never about her. She probably wouldn't even want me talking about her in this light, (laughs) but um, she put others first and she saw how she might be able to influence many, many lives around the world and and not the certain echelon of lives. She really wanted to affect everybody who needed the positive impact. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but i feel like I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that your mother or someone in your family was a suffragette. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, this grandmother, her mother, um, uh, what well, we called her great granny Pierce, but she um, she was a suffragette and she ended up chaining herself to the gates of parliament to fight for the women's right to vote in England. Um, and she was unchained and thrown into jail and um, she wrote about it and became the first um, fully employed female journalist in the city of London. Wow. So every, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to like childlike myself for a minute, but every time I watch Mary Poppins and see like the wife yes. talking, like singing her song, I think of your mother and your <laughs> grandmother. It's so funny. I'm like, I think that's like Peter's family. It's hysterical, but that was like the woman that I like that was just the coolest thing growing up. So yeah, I think of cool. you every time I see that movie. <laughs> Please tell everyone I'm a direct descendant of Mary Poppins. I just love that. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Wow, you're you've got you had some pretty incredible women. Yeah, that the um, person was really just everybody. I, I think we forget. You know, we have these wonderful heroes that we look to, and I could name a dozen of them. But um, we all have it within ourselves to be a hero and a role model and an example. And sometimes it's the person right next to you. And sometimes it's yourself. So that's my third person is, is you. And that's mm, to I love that. you. Yeah. I love that. Well, my last question, and this kind of harkens back to something that I was asked in an interview once, and I was totally caught off guard by the interviewer. And they asked me and I broke into tears. And I always told myself, I'm like, I want to hear everybody's answer for this is if you could have lunch with your younger self, what would you tell him? And more importantly, what would you make him eat? Or what would you eat with him? 
<laughs> I just love that. Mm-hmm. I love that it's your last question, and it's it's the eating part is so funny because um, I at that age I was eating things that were just horrible, like Twinkies. Right, that's exactly why I ask it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the question is, if I could have lunch with that person, um, what would I ask them? What would you tell your younger mm. self if you had a chance to have lunch with him? Mm. Well, that's interesting. I, I'd certainly, I, I thought about this a little bit because you sent it beforehand. I heard you do it on your, your premiere podcast too, which was great. Um, I'd invite them to the front porch. We do a lot of living there. Um, mm. And... I would probably, because I know they would only eat Twinkies and hamburgers, I would probably make a salad for us just to introduce <laughs> the concept of salad to that younger self because I probably <laughs> waited too long to discover salads. And um, I don't know. I might listen. I might just listen. I, I, I would certainly offer everything about where I was um, as a chance for them to choose it or not choose it, to make changes or not make changes. Um and I'd probably go back to the, the words of Hattie Lindsay and just um, value yourself. Mm. Be sure to value yourself. I love that. Thank you, Peter. That's a great answer. Um, I, I would love to know where people can find you on the internet or where, where on for PMB's sites you'd like people to go uh, to support or to see what the dancers are doing now if you want to leave us with that. Yeah, there's so much, and I'm probably not the best person to disseminate that information, but uh, I, you could certainly start with um, pnb.org, and the website will take you all kinds of places. PNB obviously has Facebook and Insta and the YouTube channel and a lot of that. Um, I'm on Instagram and a little bit less on Facebook. Um, I think I'm Pet Bowl these days. Mm. And, uh, and I... I'm also, I mean, I, I can't wait to get back to being in person because I, I talk to our audiences after every performance in a post-performance question and answer with a dancer. And I like, I like those face-to-face conversations and we have to find what we have today, but I really can't wait to get back to them. People are amazing and um, being able to communicate is a blessing and um, I can't wait till it goes back to what it's been. <laughs> Well, we're excited for you guys to get back and sending our love to all the dancers and to you and your family. And hopefully we will, and not hopefully, I know we will weather we will. the storm and come back with a different view of the world in general and hopefully of the ballet as well. I'm excited to see what everybody does. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. This is a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this conversation as part of our Face to Faces series. We hope you'll join and support the Faces of Fortitude community on Instagram at Faces of Fortitude, on Facebook at Faces of Fortitude Portraits, and on Twitter as myself, Mary Angela Abeo. If you'd like to become a face in the project or join me in conversation on the podcast, or maybe you have an idea for a topic we should explore or a person we should interview, please contact us at booking at facesoffortitude.com. And until next time, please have extra patience and kindness for yourself and others.